0: Deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son and make a wrench His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns His face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one, bring many sons to glory. Mm-hmm. Behold the man upon the cross. Upon his shoulder Ashamed I hear my mocking voice Call out among the scoffers It was my sin that held him there Until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me life I know that it is fitness. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no freedom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, His words have paid my ransom.
1: As I said before, I get to have the privilege of just sharing with you guys a little bit, again, of um, who we are and what we plan to do. Uh, let me introduce myself again. My name is Nolan. Uh, my beautiful wife, Janae, is over here, if you'll wave real high. Uh, she's sitting next to my parents, my mom and dad. Um, I grew up in College Station. My mom and dad came over to see me this morning, so that's always a blessing. So thankful they're here. Um, but my wife, Janae, and then if you'll see in the pictures, this picture is a little outdated because my kids do not look like that anymore. Um, my son, Kaysen, is now four years old and our daughter, Maylee, is one years old. She does not look like that whatsoever, has a big, beautiful head with curly hair. But together, we're the Laterno family. We're missionaries to the country of Uganda. Uh, If you were in Sunday school this morning, we talked a little bit about some of the awesome things in Uganda. All right, I'm going to quiz you now. I'm just kidding. No, but uh, just again, I just want to just say that Uganda really is a unique country. It's a really beautiful country. It's home to Lake Victoria, those beautiful Aranzori Mountains, amazing wildlife, amazing animals. It really is a breathtaking, amazing country, but it has nothing to do with the reason why we're going to Uganda. Like I mentioned earlier, we're going to Uganda because we're called. Just to share my story with you again a little bit, I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home, growing up in church um, in College Station just two hours from here. And I was exposed to the gospel at a very young age, but it wasn't until I was 16 that I understood my need for salvation. Salvation is a need. We all need salvation because our life can only be changed through the gospel. And it was at 16 that my life truly changed when I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. After that, I had a new desire, a new love, wanted to serve the Lord in any way that I could, but I didn't know how someone like me could. Like I said earlier, I struggled a lot with insecurities and confidence issues. I didn't think that the Lord could truly use someone like me. Earlier I said how Moses in the Bible was the biggest excuse maker. That was me. I was like Moses. I made every excuse in the book to not serve the Lord. Saying things as simple as I'm not smart enough, I'm not old enough, I'm not this, that, whatever it is. I'm here to tell you it has nothing to do. Serving the Lord has nothing to do with your age, your race, your education, your status, it has nothing to do with any of that. All it has to do with is your relationship with Jesus Christ and your, your willingness to serve Him. Those are the two things that you need in order to serve the Lord. First, you must be saved. You have to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. By that, I mean you've had to accept the gospel. You've had to admit that you're a sinner. Turn away from the things you're doing. Repent. And then believe who Jesus is and what He did on the cross for your sins and then, like the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, call upon the name of the Lord and ask him to save you. Once you've done that, you then can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But then in order to serve the Lord, you have to be willing. And I wasn't necessarily willing to be used by him because I was stuck on the way I thought about myself. But God has a sense of humor. If any of anyone here has ever told God no and then turned around and God said, you want to bet this is what's going to happen? That happened in my life multiple times. I said no to ministry, and the Lord said, actually this is what I have planned for you. During the summer between my junior and senior year of high school, the Lord began to work on my heart about full-time ministry. And I really began to fight that call. Uh, But I'm so thankful that God puts people in your life. Not only does he put hopefully godly parents in your life, but he also puts men and women of the church who can pour into you. And so young people today, let me encourage you, get involved, allow these people to pour into you. And older people, pour into them. They need you. And I'm so thankful for the men and women that God placed in my life that were able to pour into me and guide me and give me just godly wisdom. And one of those was my associate pastor at the time, who looked at me and said, Nolan, if God's calling you to ministry, the only thing you can do is take that huge leap of faith and surrender to whatever he has for you. That's the best thing you can do. And so I still struggled with insecurity, still struggled with not knowing what God wanted for my life, or not knowing that I could do what God wanted for my life but I knew that he wanted me to be in ministry. So I took that huge leap of faith, and I said, okay, Lord, here I am. I'm willing to be used by you. After taking that leap of faith, I knew that I needed a godly education. So after graduating high school, I moved to Springfield, Missouri. Um, I claim Missouri as home now. I don't like Missouri, if we're going to be honest. I like Texas. Um, But I claim Missouri as home, but I moved there to enroll in Baptist Bible College. And when I went to BBC... Um, I went as just a pastoral major because I was still unsure what God wanted for me, but I made it very clear to God that I was willing to do any aspect of ministry, a pastor, children's pastor, youth pastor. It didn't matter what it was, but I was not willing to be a missionary. There I am telling God no again. And little did I know that during my freshman year of college, that again, the Lord had a plan for my life. He placed me not only in a school that loves missions, he placed me in a church that loves missions. And so I was constantly being influenced by missions. I loved missionaries. I grew up in a church that had missionaries come on a regular basis. I loved missionaries. I loved what they did. I thought what they did was important and needed, but I didn't think God could use me to do it. But during my freshman year of college, like I said earlier, sitting in a chapel service at BBC, the Lord used something as simple as a question to really convict my heart about being a missionary. And I'm going to share that question with you just in in a little bit later in our service. But God used something as simple as a question on why this this world isn't reached for Christ to help me understand that this is what God's called me to do. God's called me to be a missionary. God's called me to go out and reach this world for Christ. I was willing to serve Him in my box, but I wasn't willing to get outside of my box. And I'm sure there's people in here today that can that can resonate with that. They could say, that's me. I'm not willing to get out of my box. I like my safety zone. Let me tell you right now, step outside that box. It's scary. But then you get to sit back and watch the Lord work in your life. You get to see him provide in ways that you could have never imagined. You get to see him just guide you. And you get to go through these hard times knowing and having confidence in that this is God's plan for your life and that he has you. And when I took that leap of faith, I stepped out of that box and I said, Lord, I'm willing to be a missionary. The Lord did exactly that. He brought something into my life that was amazing. That was my beautiful wife, Janae. I'm not going to have her come up during the service, but just to tell you a little bit about her, she grew up in a pastor's home, um, was saved at the age of eight. Thank you. I always say six. Then she looks at me, she's like, I was eight, honey. I was eight. Was um, saved at the age of eight. And from a young age, was, was, was influenced on missions. And when she was 16, the Lord called her to be a missionary. And when she came to Baptist Bible College, the same year I did, as we were freshmen, the one thing you knew about Janae Nagowski is that Janae was going to be a missionary and that Janae was going to do amazing things for the Lord. Because that's how Janae presented herself. So much so, like I shared earlier, when I became interested in Janae and I started pursuing her and I asked her out on a date, she looked at me and said, "Absolutely not." And her biggest reason, in all honesty, was because I—she did not know the Lord had called me to missions. She was so determined to be a missionary that she wasn't going to let someone who wasn't called get in the way of that. And I love that about her, and I respect that. I'm thankful that she changed her mind two months later, but. My beautiful wife was called to missions, but that was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me aside from salvation was that the Lord brought Janae into my life. And when we began dating and even through the process of engagement marriage, we knew God wanted us to be missionaries. We both had a separate call, but then we also knew God wanted us to be together, to be a team. And so we began to pray about what God had for us. And so we both have always had a deep love for Africa. I've always loved the missionaries growing up that came to our church that were from Africa because that was just unique and cool. It was different. And I loved it. Janae has deep roots <clears throat> in places like Ghana, West Africa, because of her home church. So we knew that God wanted us in Africa. After praying about it, he gave us a peace for that continent. Well, then we started to pray about which country God wanted for us. And as I mentioned earlier, we tried to make things happen. We tried to force things to happen. Uh, has anyone ever played that game, uh, Perfection? Like, it's a, it's a pretty old game. I'm, I, not super old, but it's an older game, but you have to try to get the pieces in the spot, the fits, and what it doesn't, you know, you can't make something go where it doesn't go, right? But we were trying to do that. We were basically paying perfection with our lives. And we were trying to force things to happen. And every time we forced it would be God. God would like hit the button and they would shoot out flying at us. Because that wasn't his plan for us. He never planned for us to do these things. He just wanted us to be willing to do whatever he wanted. And then he was going to fill in the blanks later. So after trying to force so many things to happen, being so discouraged every time the Lord would close the door, we had to learn a valuable lesson. That was that, that was that we needed to wait on his timing. And I said earlier that waiting on God's timing doesn't mean you're going to stand in one spot, determined, and say, I'm not moving until I get my answer. You know, like when you go to the DMV office, I'm not moving until I get to the front. That's not what it means to wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord means that you're, you're patiently waiting for him to open up the, the door for the next steps, but wherever he has you, you're actively moving. You're actively serving. You know, my, my pastor in Springfield says something all the time. He says, God can't steer a parked car. Can't steer a parked car. And so we couldn't be a parked car in that moment. We didn't know what God wanted for us fully, but what we did know is that God had us in Springfield, Missouri, had us on staff at an amazing church, and that we needed to just be serving him right then and there. So after making that determination to say, Lord, we're going to wait on your timing. We're going to wait for you to reveal to us what you have planned for us. Just a month later... God brought Russ and Sylvia Daniels, missionaries to Uganda, into our lives. Now, this was really cool because I didn't share this in the first one, but I'll share it now. We never once thought or prayed about Uganda. That was never a country that was ever laid on our heart up until this point. And we, the Daniels, laugh when I share this story. But when we first met Russ and Sylvia, they were at our church's missions conference. And we walked up, and somebody introduced us, as, this is Nolan and Janae Turner. They're going to be missionaries to Africa, but they don't know where. Anytime you say that to a missionary... They're like, ha, ha, you're mine. Well, Sylvia then was like, oh, great. And she grabbed Janae by the arm and she yanks Janae across the lobby. And Janae's like trying to have me follow her. We get all the way to the table where her husband Russ is and she looks at Russ and goes, this is Nolan and Janae Letourneau. They're going to be in Uganda with us. And I was like, whoa, woman, we don't even know you. Like, you're not God, calm down. And so I kind of already go into this missions conference was like, we're not going there. She's being too forward. But it's amazing how the Lord works. Again, you don't tell Him no. Sometimes, you know, I've just had to learn that lesson. You know, God, I don't want a million dollars. I'm kidding. Um, But during that that missions conference is when Uganda became a thought, became an idea, and became a burden for us the Lord used what they were saying, their testimonies. When they were talking about the need in Uganda, it really resonated with Janae and I because everything they talked about, every need that they were referred to, or everything they were saying was, was needed, or everything they were saying was happening in the country was stuff that Janae and I were praying about. And so my wife will tell you right then and there, it's like she looked over at me and she said, Nolan, I'm pretty sure this is where God wants us. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I need more convincing. But ultimately, that is what started this whole even burden idea for Uganda. Because of that, after praying so much, we did fully surrender, but the Lord also opened a door for us to go to Uganda for a month-long trip just a year later. And during that trip, we were able to go to the Daniels' house, and we were able to go and see all their ministries that they've done. Um, and they did a great job of showing us the highs and the lows of the mission field, showing us the amazing, awesome things. Look, like you're in a different country. You get to see these cool things. But they also did a good did a great job showing us the low parts of ministry, the low parts of being on the mission field, how you feel isolated, or even the struggles you face because you're not like them. And no matter how hard you try, you will never, I will never be a Ugandan. Even if I have dual citizenship, I will never look or act or be just like them. Just like if they were to come to America, they would never be an American. By, they might be American by status, but they would never really feel at home They did a good job to help us understand that because they wanted us to understand that the mission field is not easy. And you know what? You should never surrender to something because it's easy. You should surrender something because God wants you there. Because when it's hard, God's going to get you through it. When it's easy, you rely on yourself to do it and you don't rely on God. So during that time of that trip, the Lord really then showed us the need. We got to see the need firsthand. And like I said earlier, when you first arrive in Uganda, I am stepping on everything and I am so sorry. If I break anything, Bill, my parents. Um, but um, like I said earlier, when you arrive, it all, we were doubting this call because everyone looked happy. Everyone looked pleasant. There were, you know, you would see signs in the markets that had Bible verses that were from our Bible on it. So you we started to think, well, God, is this really where you want us? Is this really a need? And the more research we would do, we would just kind of come across like, I guess we're not needed here. And so then we finally just prayed, okay, Lord, please show us why did you burden us for these people? Show us the need. We need. And for me, I'm a person. I need to see it. <laughs> it's not always the right way to go, but I need to see it. And that's exactly what the Lord did within the la- the rest of that trip. He started to show us the need. As I said earlier, Uganda is home to 45 million people. That's a lot of people. Over 90% of that population belongs to a to a false religion, such as Roman Catholicism or Anglican or Islam. So these are religions that don't teach the truth of God's word. These are these are religions that don't teach that Jesus Christ is the only way for everlasting life. So they're being influenced, they're being taught, they're being encouraged by these false religions. There's also, like I said earlier, a whole other issue, and that is witchcraft. Many Ugandans are still enslaved to traditions of witchcraft. Witchcraft is still actively being participated in and practiced by many Ugandans. But you, like I said earlier, witchcraft is not a religion to them. It's a way of life. It's their culture. You know, that's just how they live. God showing us these things helped us to see the need for three main areas. And that's our plan for our goal when we move to Uganda. That first is to win them for Christ through actively sharing the gospel with people. We have no restrictions to share the gospel in Uganda, which is amazing. We get to go into schools, malls, public places, villages, and just openly share Christ and not have to worry about the government or anything coming against us. We, we want to share the gospel. It's our desire to see Ugandan men, women, boys, and girls to hear the gospel and receive the gospel. We have a strong desire for that. We have a strong desire to, to, get in, to take any opportunity we can to get the gospel out, doing things like vacation Bible school camps, five-day clubs. Thank you for putting that up. Um, Different things to get the gospel out there, whatever it takes for them to hear the gospel, to build those relationships and have those gospel conversations. That's what we want to do. But we also saw the need for discipleship and training. As I said earlier, witchcraft and these false religions really have control over the country, so much so that they will almost have like a dual membership when it comes to religion. They will claim that they hold to the religions of say Roman Catholicism, but they're actively worshiping and participating in witchcraft. So they don't even really know what it means to be a Catholic because they're so enslaved with this. Well, the same goes when a lot of when a lot of Ugandans get saved. When they get saved and hear the truth of the God of the gospel, they get saved, but they don't fully understand what this now means to have a relationship with Christ. Because they still feel like they need to participate in what their culture says. And so discipleship will play a big role. It'll have us coming alongside them, coming alongside, opening God's word, showing them that when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, He is enough, and He sustains you. You don't need to rely on these men or women, these witch doctors, that say they have these powers to help you, because the, one, the only one true power that can truly help you is Christ. And the only way that it will truly help you is through the gospel. So discipleship, helping them to understand how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but then also training. As I said earlier, the job of a missionary should be to work ourselves out of a job. We cannot do it alone. We cannot do it. Just us and the Daniels cannot be the only ones trying to get the gospel to people. We need help, and the best way to help us is by using Ugandans. So we need to train Ugandan men and women to take ownership of the Great Commission, to take ownership of getting the gospel out to their villages, to their country, You know, right now, Uganda is not known as a light for Christ. Right now, it's known as a dark place. Wouldn't it be so cool in about 20, 25 years to 50 years that Uganda is now known as a light for Christ? That's only going to happen if we have Ugandans helping us. And so, we need to train them. We need to train up leaders. We need to train Ugandan men to take ownership and be pastors of the churches. My wife needs to train ladies to do women's ministries and children's ministries. And you know what's really cool? Before surrendering to ministry, my biggest thought was, how would God ever equip me for all these things? How would God do this? I'm not made this way. When you surrender to God's, to God's call for your life, he begins to put the pieces together and he begins to equip you for different things. As we said, as Janae had mentioned earlier, and I mentioned earlier as well, over 50% of the population is under the age of 15. So this is mainly a country full of kids. I watched my mom do kids ministry my entire life. I enjoyed kids ministry, but it was nothing I really loved And when I found out that this country was mainly kids, I kind of panicked a little bit and said, how in the world am I supposed to do this? Well, you know what? God had a plan because he made me, put me in actively participating in children's ministry at our sending church. And when I came on staff at our sending church, I was the children's pastor. So that meant my entire job was about ministering to kids. Put my wife in a position where she worked with our preschoolers and our nurseries we had one, we got to learn what it meant to actually share the gospel with kids, how to disciple kids, how to train adults, how to work with it. It's like all these different things that in my head, back when I was an 18 year old thinking, how is God going to do this? When you surrender to God's call, he's going to equip you. And that's exactly what it did to Janae and I. So as I was saying, discipleship and training is really big in what we do, but also church planting is very important. Church planning is needed. There's a lot of places of religion or places of worship in Uganda, but there's not a ton that preach and teach the truth of God's word. And so the churches that we, that we plant, that the Lord's going to allow us to plant, will be churches that teach and preach that are fully grounded on God's word. It's also our desire that these churches be 100% Ugandan-led, as I said earlier in, in Sunday school. Ugandan-led means that we will help start them, we'll help establish them, we'll help train the leaders, but then we want to hand it off hand it off to the Ugandans, let them now take ownership of it and walk away from these churches, not in a way of you're on your own. We'll still be there for for support and prayer, of course, but we want to be able to know that we could walk away and these churches are still going to thrive. So then we can go to another area and do the same thing again and then pass that church off and just continue doing that cycle because that's how we're going to win this country for Christ. It's by actively sharing the gospel, discipleship training, and planting churches. And if our desire is to win the real Christ, then we have to do those three, those three things. Now, before we can do that, as I mentioned also earlier, there are some beginning stages that we have to partake in. Right now, we're at the very first part of our stage, and that is we're on deputation. We're out um, visiting churches just like this church, sharing our need, our burden, our love for Uganda, our calling that God's placed on our life, um, trying to raise our support so that we can get to Uganda as quick as possible. Um, As of right now, we're at 74%. Our desire is to be at 100% come May so that we can be on the field by May or June of this year so that we can start doing what God's called us to do. Um, But also, when we first arrive, things will look a little different. We won't jump right into church planting and all those different things. We will, of course, jump into soul winning as best as we can. Um, But in order to be most effective at soul winning or most effective in ministry, we have to do a couple things. And one of those things is learning the language. We have to learn the language to break down that barrier and be able to present the gospel in their heart language. Right now, if you were to Google it, uh, Google will tell you that you that the official language of Uganda of Uganda is English. Like I said earlier, Google's a liar. Um, it is not the official language. You can get away with English in, a, in the capital city, and if you have money to go to school, you learn English. But majority of the country is speaking one of their tribal languages or dialects. So there's over 32 different languages in Uganda. We are learning the language of Luganda. And that was the first language. It's the language they speak in the region where we'll be in a small fishing village outside the capital called Borenga. And within the capital, it's what they speak. But we're going to learn the language of Luganda. It's the first language. Learning that language and mastering that language will help us if the Lord were to pull us to one of these other regions. So if we had to learn a different language or dialect, we've been told That we'd be able to pick it up easier and quicker because we had a good foundation but we need to learn language so we can minister to them but we also need to learn culture so that we can minister to them we have to learn what it means to live like a ugandan what their day-to-day lives are like so that we can understand their culture and we can help see what parts of their culture does not line up with god's word and help them to understand that that's that's not right and you should live differently in that way we're not going to change their culture there's parts of their culture that's perfectly normal and perfectly fine there's parts of their culture that's better than america if we're going to be honest And we're not going to change that. We're going there solely to teach them what God's word says. But we got to learn culture in order to to win them for Christ. We're going to be serving alongside those veteran missionaries, Russ and Sylvia Daniels, that have been there for so long. We're going to learn from them on how the best way to reach this country for Christ. And we're going to be serving in one of their village churches, Badenga Bible Baptist Church. Um, It's a good church that's been established. They just don't have a great children's ministry established. And so that's something that my wife and I are going to get to come in use the tools that the Lord's equipped us with, thus thus before uh, even being on the mission field, and be able to establish a children's ministry, and then train up a leader and hand it off to that leader. Then we're also going to be actively praying where God's going to have us plant our very first church during those first four years. Um, It's our desire to to follow what God wants, and so we're going to be praying and seeking out different areas. There's so many areas that need a gospel influence, but we want to make sure that we go where God wants us. So that's really our plan, for Uganda. That's our desire. In just a minute, you'll watch just a quick video that kind of recaps everything I just said again, but you'll get to see it in the video form. Um, but That's our desire. And we're so excited for what God's doing in our life. And we're, we're ready. We're ready to go. And it's our desire to get there as quick as possible. If you'll go ahead and share that video with Uganda, us.
2: Uganda, the country known as the Pearl of Africa, because of its amazing wildlife and beautifully diverse landscapes. From the snow-capped Aranzori Mountains to the breathtaking shores of Lake Victoria, Uganda is home to over 45 million people. More than 90% of Ugandans hold to the religions of Anglican, Roman Catholicism, and Islam, which is growing at a rapid rate. Despite their claimed religion, the dark traditions of witchcraft still enslave millions of Ugandans.
3: Before the current government, there were many years of civil wars, death, and unrest. Though Ugandans now celebrate political peace, the battle for their souls is more present now than ever. Ugandans cannot know how to have the inner peace between God and man without the truth of God's word. We are Nolan and Janae Letourneau, BBFI missionaries to Uganda, and we are humbled and excited that God has called our family to proclaim the peace of Christ to the pearl of Africa. With 50% of the country being under the age of 15, there is a huge opportunity to raise up a new generation of Ugandans that is firmly grounded on biblical truths. We have the priceless opportunity to win Ugandans for Christ and to train up leaders, pastors, and teachers to do the work of the ministry in the process of church planting.
2: When we first arrive at Uganda, we will be acclimating to the culture and enrolling in language school. We'll also be working alongside Russ and Sylvia Daniels at Baranga Bible Baptist Church. It is our desire to share the gospel with Ugandans in their own heart language, to train men and women to serve and take ownership of the Great Commission, and then prayerfully seek out a new area for another church plant.
3: There is a great harvest awaiting in Uganda. Would you please consider partnering with us, prayerfully and financially, as we do what God has called us to do in Uganda?
1: Um, so, that's just, every time I watch that video, I just can't help just be a little emotional because I'm excited for what God's doing in our life. Um, But just to switch gears a little bit, I'm excited to open God's Word with you this morning as well and just get to challenge you guys. Um, Of course, we've been talking a lot about missions, so today's going to be all about missions. And so if you have your Bibles today, we're going to be in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. It's okay. Um, We're going to be in John chapter 4, a very familiar text. Um, I'm sure a lot of us, if you grew up in church, you probably heard this story as a kid. but John chapter 4, we see the account of the Samaritan woman, Jesus interca- um, interacting with the Samaritan woman. And so today, I want us to first understand why missions is so important. And so in order to understand why missions is so important, we're going to see two truths from God's Word to help us really understand why missions is needed. So the first one is, the first truth we're going to look at today is that missions is the heart of Christ. Missions is the heart of Christ. In John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, reading down to verse 6, says, Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, verse three, he left Judea and departed again into again for Galilee, and he and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So what we see in these first six verses of John 4 is we see the disciples and Jesus are making a journey, and the Bible says in verse 4 that he had to pass through Samaria. And I absolutely love that they said that, that he had to pass through Samaria. Now what we know about the Jews and the Samaritans is that they didn't get along. They didn't see eye to eye. They disagreed with one another. And so there were two highways from Judea to the northern territory of Galilee. One was shorter than the other, and many devout Jews would avoid that route through Samaria and prefer the longer route just to avoid seeing Samaritans. That's how much they didn't, they didn't like each other. They wanted to avoid each other at all costs. And so when it says that he had to go through Samaria in this text, he didn't necessarily have to. There was another route he had to go through, through Samaria because there was a different reason to go through Samaria. He had to go because he knew there was a woman there who needed to hear who he was. And I began to think about that with people that we don't understand or see eye to eye with. And I started to say, well, we would never do that. We wouldn't try to avoid people. Um, I don't know about you. I, I, I can avoid people when I don't see eye to eye with them. Or if I don't have the time to talk to somebody. I don't know how many times I've gone to the grocery store and you just, you walk down the aisle, you really need bread, and you look down the aisle, and you see chatty Kathy, who has 50 cats down the road, and you know that if you get down there, she's going to tell you about every single one of her cats, and you're like, I don't have time for this. I don't understand why you even have cats. If you have cats, I'm very sorry. I don't like cats. We're just going to throw it out there. Now that we're all established, great. But, so I would avoid it. Let's go the other route. Let's try to go another way to get my bread, because I don't want to talk to Kathy. I'm sure we've all, in some circumstance, maybe have done that in our life, where we Avoided a particular route to avoid somebody we don't see eye to eye with or we don't understand. That's exactly what the Jews did with the Samaritans and the Samaritans did with the Jews. It was mutual. But Jesus didn't care about that. You see, Jesus' heart was so filled with love for the lost that he went that route to tell this woman what she needed to hear that that he is the living water. In verse 7, it says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said unto her, "Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food." The Samaritan woman said unto him, "How is it that you, being that you a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans." So what we see now is that this woman, the Samaritan woman, comes into the picture, and like I said before, they don't see eye to eye. So this woman, right off the bat, says, "Why are you talking to me?" You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't communicate. We don't talk to one another. You see, Jesus did some things that were very out of the norm. He, a Jew, spoke to a Samaritan. He, a Jew man, spoke to a Samaritan woman. Those were things that weren't common. But is Jesus known for doing the common things? Was Jesus known for being just like everyone else? No. Guess what? We're not supposed to be like everyone else either. We're supposed to be just like Jesus, Jesus in this instance and talk to those that God puts in our path. What we, then we see clearly Jesus answering that question when she said, why are you talking to me? You know, when I have a conversation with somebody and they look at me and say, why are you talking to me? My first thing is I'm done talking to you. I'd walk away. But Jesus didn't do that. He very well could have said, deuces. Have fun at your well. He didn't do that. In verse 10, it says, Jesus answered her, if thou, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that said saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see, the whole reason why Christ even spoke to this woman was because Jesus's heart is so filled with love for everyone, but it's filled with love for the lost people. It's filled with love For the lost. He he went a route that no one else Jew would dare to take. He did that in order to talk to this one woman of a different ethnic group. And of course, you could argue and say, well, of course, Jesus knew that he would talk to this woman. Jesus knows everything. He knew this account was going to happen. You're absolutely right. Jesus, this wasn't a surprise to him. He knew he was going to have this conversation. But we may not know who we run into. Man, I'm going to break your stuff. Uh, We may not know who we're going to run into like Jesus did, but I guarantee you the second we step outside those doors, we're going to run into a lost person. Whichever route we go, we're going to run into a lost person eventually, unless you just stay in your home and don't leave. But then you might have a lost person come to your door. You're going to see a lost person. And by lost, I'm not referring to like the lost boys from Peter Pan. I'm referring to someone who has not accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, someone who is separated from Christ. That's when we're talking about lost. You're going to run into someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you going to talk to them? Or are you going to say, eh, I'd rather get my bread? Jesus spoke to this woman because he loves her and he wanted her to know who he was. You see, Jesus came to die for sinners, and his entire life he proclaimed that to others. He proclaimed to them that he is the living water. Reaching people, saving people from their sin, that is the heartbeat of Christ. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So Jesus came to save those who are lost, to find them and save them. As a believer in Christ, we are supposed to be like Christ. We are supposed to live like Christ. So shouldn't we do the same here as a believer? Shouldn't we try to seek? Now we can't save them. Christ can save them. We can't save them. That's not our job. But we should seek the lost to show them who Christ is so that Christ can save them. Missions, first of all, is the heart of Christ. Missions is important because that is exactly Christ's heart and purpose on why he came to this world, to save those who are lost. Our second truth this morning on why missions is so important is because missions is the hope for the lost. Missions is the hope for the lost. You know, everybody knows they need something, Everybody knows they have this void in their life, something they're missing. We need something. And many people fill that void with so many things of this world to try to fix what's missing. What they need is the gospel. That's what's missing. They need Christ. This woman needed Christ. Jesus knew this woman was lost and in desperate need of him. In verse 11 of our text of John 4, it says, The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is presenting the gospel to this woman. And I love it because he does it in such a way that she understands. My goal is to do this. He took a normal conversation and made it a gospel conversation. They were talking about water. And he pointed it back to him. We should be doing the same. She says, you have nothing to draw with. Then he talks about this living water. He then is saying exactly what I said at the beginning of this point. People know they need something. And they're going to try to fill it with things of this world. This, the water that he's referring to that people drink all the time, not the living water, just the water from the well. They're going to always be thirsty because it's never going to change them. It's never going to satisfy them. But when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you get the living water. You get
0: to be full.
1: We see in verse 15 that this woman responds to Jesus saying, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. We see this woman responding, saying, tell me more. I think most of the time the reason why we don't want to share the gospel is because we're scared what the other person's going to say back to us. And I'm sure we've been in situations where someone slammed the door in our face or said, I want nothing to do with that. But not everyone's going to say that. You're going to meet people just like this woman who's going to say, tell me more. Tell me more about this God you speak of. This person who loves me despite my sin. This person who is willing to save me despite the things I've done. You know, it blows people's mind mind when you tell them that there's no sin you could commit that God won't forgive. Because our world doesn't believe that. Our world puts sins in categories. God doesn't put them in categories. He views sin as sin. But there's no sin that you could commit that God won't forgive you for. Our God is the only God who does that. And he does that because he loves us. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we have an opportunity to have everlasting life. This woman was lost and in need of a savior. She realized that she needed something. So she said, give me this water you see, without the gospel, people are lost. People are helpless, and they are on their way to hell. Over in Romans chapter 10, verse 13 through 15, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So according to what we just read, all one needs to receive to receive full pardon for sins is to call on the Lord in complete faith and ask Him to save them. That is it. As I said earlier, there was somebody who asked me the simple question. And that question was, what is the problem with reaching this world for Christ? It's not the gospel. It's not understanding the gospel, the gospel really is simple. It's not the sufficiency of the gospel. Christ is sufficient. But in verses 14 and 15, Paul recognized the problem. How then will they call on on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have, have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them who preach the good news. You see, the problem with reaching this world for Christ is the shortage of believers who are not willing to go and share. The shortage of believers who aren't willing to just go across the street and tell their neighbors who Jesus is. Or the people who aren't willing to go across the world to do the same. That is the problem. And when we don't share the love of Christ with people, they're on their way to hell. That has to become a reality to you. Because what if you're the only opportunity for someone to hear the love of Christ? Jesus could have bypassed this woman and not talked to her, but what if Jesus would have been the only person that she would have ever met that would have taken the time to love her and show Christ to her? I'm sure every single one of us has a woman at the well in our life or a woman at the well situation that maybe we did the right thing and we presented the gospel, or maybe we did the wrong thing and we walked away. You know, the two biggest excuses on, the three, sorry, three biggest excuses on why people don't want to share the gospel. First is fear. Someone said that earlier. It's absolutely fear. You're scared of what someone might think of you or say to you or how they'll respond to you, or you're scared that you're going to do it wrong. You're scared you're going to present the gospel wrong to them. I just need to come over here. The second reason is pride. Why should I share the gospel with them? They've been nothing but rude to me. Why should I take the time to even do anything for them? Then the third is just no drive. Nobody has any drive to to share the gospel anymore because everyone says, oh, Sister Sue will share the gospel with that person, or pastor will share the gospel with that person, or the missionary. I'm guilty of saying that. Oh, somebody else will take care of them. I don't have to be responsible for their, for their uh, eternal security, for sharing the gospel with them. I don't want to be responsible. Somebody else will take care of it. Let me ask you today, which one are you? Is it fear holding you back? Is it Pride? Or is it just not being driven? We should all, as a believer in Christ, have a desire to see more people come to know him. We should all want that. You know, missions isn't just a foreign concept. Missions starts right here at home. We need to reach where God has us for Christ. Jesus commands us as believers to go, and we need men, women, boys, and girls who will go and proclaim Christ. Young people, we need you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we need you because you, yeah, I'm looking right at y'all. We need you to go and tell other young people about Jesus. Moms and dads with kids, we need you. We need you to help reach other young moms and dads. Older folks, we desperately need you for your wisdom, but we need you to go and reach people for Christ. Everyone, every believer can take part in reaching this world for Christ. Has nothing to do with your age, your status, your education, your looks, your ability, because if that was the case, I would not be standing here today. We need you. 2 Peter 3 9 says, The Lord is not slow to, to fulfill his promise, to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Christ desires for everyone to hear the gospel, that everyone has an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Now, we know not everyone will accept him because ultimately salvation is a choice. God gave us the free will to choose. But just because it's a choice, it should never stop us from sharing. They ultimately have to make the choice, but we need to do our due diligence and share with people. We need to take the gospel to those who are lost. Missions is so important because it is the hope for the lost. Lost people are lost and they cannot find Christ unless somebody takes the time to share the gospel with them. The only hope for them is the gospel. Something that I always think about is I remember the time that I accepted Jesus Christ. And sometimes I think about, Nolan, what if I wouldn't have done that in that moment? Where would I be today? Would somebody in my life right now ever take the time to share the gospel with me? That's what helps drive me to go and tell people about Jesus. Because someone took the time to tell me. Someone took the time to tell me multiple times. Took 16 It took me from when I was 16 to finally understand it. It's never our job to save somebody. I wished it was. It'd be easier sometimes to just look at them and say, I just wish you'd get this through your thick skull. That's not our job. And you know, that takes pressure off it, honestly. Our job is just to tell them, to plant the seed. Then it's the Holy Spirit's job to come in and convict them. And it's Christ's job to save them. But they have to want to be saved. Missions is the hope for the lost. So first of all, missions is the heart of Christ. Second, missions is the hope for the lost. Why does all this even matter? Like I said before, because missions starts here. Missions starts right here. Because if we're being honest, missions is the health of the church. Missions is the health of the church. In Mark 16, 15, he said, in, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. This command right here was the last command from Jesus before he ascended into heaven. So I believe this command to take the gospel to all creation, to the entire world, is a very dear thing to Christ's heart. It's very important. How do I know that's true? Because 2 Peter 3.9 says, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want anyone to perish. God wants everyone to accept him. The supreme task of the church is getting the gospel out to every person. Getting the gospel out to every person here and across the world. How do you get the gospel out here? It starts with you. It starts with you going into your your workplaces, your homes, your surroundings, That's how you reach Pearland for Christ. It starts with you. How do you reach the world? You reach the world by sending people like my family. I loved walking down this hallway and seeing that you guys have missionaries on the wall that you get letters from. That's how you're reaching the world for Christ. Keep doing that. Because it's the job of the church to reach the world for Christ. We can't do what we do, what God's called us to do, without churches just like this church. We cannot do it. We need your help in order to get the gospel. But just as much as we need you, you need missionaries. Because you guys can't, this church can't go over there right now. So you need missionaries to go and be your representative in these countries to reach these parts of the world for Christ. Christ. do you love the world that like God loves it? Because in John 3:16 it says, for God to so love the world that he gave his only son and that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That verse tells us that when God loved, he loved the entire world. And that when God gave his son, he gave his son for the entire world. And when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus died on the cross for every single person in this world. Do you love the world like God loves the world? Because if you did, you would try to make him known. You would try to make him known. We know that it's God's will for people to be saved from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. This woman heard and accepted Christ, and then she did the one thing that every believer is supposed to do, and she went and shared her story. That's the greatest way to share the gospel with someone. Share your story. Tell them how he changed your life. In verse 27, back in our text, it says that when the disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her, her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This woman heard the gospel, received the gospel, and then she left her water jar and went to tell everybody about him. That's really important that you understand that she left something like her water jar. That was a worldly possession that was probably very valuable to her because that's what gave her water. She left it to serve God. Are you willing to, to leave one of your worldly possessions to serve God? Maybe it's not a water jar. Maybe it's your family. Young people, I would have never imagined leaving my family but I'm leaving my family to go and serve the Lord. And because she did this, the Bible says that many Samaritans believed in Christ. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all the things I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. So this Village, this part, this place in Samaria was reached for Christ because God, because Christ took the time to talk to one woman, and that woman went out and talked to others, and brought people to Jesus. That's a way to get the gospel to people. Bring them to church. Bring them to your pastor. Mission starts right here. Missions is the health of the church. Very quickly, just to help you understand this a little more. Earlier, I said there were three ways that anyone can get involved in missions. Well, I want to change that a little bit and say these are three ways everyone should get involved in missions. Before I do that, I want to show you something that's very, very, it's one of my favorite things on our table. It's just a simple painting. Simple painting here, just of a fishing village. I love this picture because this is similar to the area we're going to be working with in Badanga. This picture reminds me of the village we're going to go work with. So when I look at this picture, I always think about how God is moving in our lives. Now, I'm not an artist. I don't even dare try to be one. My son tells me my stick figures are terrible. But even I know that the the artist who painted this picture had to use multiple brushes, multiple tools, multiple colors, multiple techniques in order to make this a masterpiece that we see today. Same goes for the picture God's painting. We know what the end goal of the masterpiece that God wants, and that is to reach this world for him. In order for that to become a beautiful masterpiece, it's going to take multiple people. Multiple people who are willing to stand up and say, I will pray more. I will pray more for the gospel to be sent out. I will pray more for missionaries to be called and sent out. I will pray for the missionaries that are currently serving God. I will pray for my pastor That's how you can help paint this picture for Christ is by praying. The other way is through giving. Pastor hit the nail on the head. Some go, but some need to give so others can go. And some are both. Like I said, my family, we're both. We're going, but we're giving so that others can go as well. We need your financial help. Missionaries need your financial help in order to accomplish what God's called them to do. Giving to missions is a way you can help paint this picture for Christ. And then lastly, being willing to go yourself. Earlier, I focused on going foreign and going out of your hometown, but right now I want to focus on two areas, being willing to go where you're at now, be willing to reach Pearland for Christ, but then also being willing to go wherever God has you. Maybe someone today just needs to pray that simple prayer and say, here I am, Lord, send me, willing to be used by you. Pastor. <laughs> 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 uh, text me,
4: whatever you want to do, I'll take you out the lunch, while we'll the have a conversation, and we'll talk about these things, okay? Um, yeah, we're so good to have you. We'll do question and answer time. Um, somebody's texting a question. Let me grab the mic. Yeah, you can text in your question, or you can uh, raise your hand. Do it that way if you like. And uh, let's see here, I think I saw a couple questions already. So, so you mentioned Ghana, yes. and we, got, we actually made a mission trip there about five years ago. And uh, one of the things, you were talking about avocados the size of your head. We mm-hmm. saw mangoes, humongous Absolutely. mangoes. They have those there. They, so, do, have man- they do have mangoes yeah. that are yeah. pretty big.
1: I, I think the avocado is still a little bigger, but they have pretty, like we were just in shock on the size of f- any food, if we're being honest, compared to America's food. Like their fresh fruit is just huge and it's sweeter. And tastes better. But
4: Yeah, the mango was amazing. And um actually my daughter asked uh how many of, our, how many of her siblings went to BBC? I guess she's lost track. So Adrian, that you kind of know, I think Adrian Jessica, he graduated from there. My son Lance graduated from there, and then my daughter, my adopted daughter, Jessica, graduated from there. And then I have another daughter, Dame Jessica, graduated from Liberty University, which has started out of
2: yeah. BBC.
4: So and now I'm a little bit bigger. Yeah. yeah. So. No, um, here's another question. Um, what are some good places that you like to visit in Uganda? Okay. Um, well, we like to go into
1: the capital city um, and visit. Because inside the capital city, it's kind of similar to America. You have a lot of air-conditioned malls and um, different things like that. We like to go to KFC. We have KFC in the capital. It's the only like, American-style food we have that's like American chain. And it's funny because you know it's fresh because you'll either, A, see the chickens outside in the pen. Or B, you'll see literally people walking through the kitchen with chickens going to the, ki- going to the back. And so you're like, it's fresh. It's fresh chicken. Wow. That's better. Um, that's much- but that's definitely that's one of the places. And then we have a lot of different unique things. We like to go to some of the game parks and see some of the cool wildlife that's on the game parks. Um, anything to do with Lake Victoria is always beautiful. Going to the source of the Nile, jumping on the floating tourist attraction. Um, I will share one thing real quick that's kind of fun. The equator goes right through Uganda. And so, because of that, it's became a tourist attraction. You can stand on the equator, but the funniest thing is, well, there's all these beautiful shops, but nobody cares about that. Right on the edge of the equ- equator, they have a toilet. Because on one part, one side of the equator, it floats. It, it, when you flush it, it goes one way. You'll see all these Ugandans, foreigners, just staring down at a toilet. Just they'll flush it like 60 billion times. I was like, ooh, ah. And then, yeah, people are taking selfies with the toilet, and you're like, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm good.
4: <laughs> so, You can tell the teens are asking some of these questions. Do they have Taco Bell?
1: <laughs> no, and that's a big bummer because I love Taco Bell.
4: <laughs> All right, any
1: other questions? Yes, Lauren? Yeah,
4: you have a lake that big. Is there any sailing?
1: Is there any sailing? Yeah,
2: like sailboats.
1: There is some, mostly just canoes is what they mostly do. Um, there are a few, like, bigger almost like a pontoon boat kind of style that you can ride on like to go through to see some like the safari stuff but the most common thing is canoes and they're the scariest thing in the world i didn't like them we also got told very quickly to not put our hands on the water so not for the croc well okay listen when you're in water you're just like ooh, water it's fun well yeah don't do that because it's not the crocodiles it's the nile perch is what they warned us about so they'll catch, they will catch dial perch on a regular basis, like one of the main fish there, and they'll cut them open and see human hands, human fingers. And so it's just like, quickly, both Janae and I were like, we're up. So More so protein. Don't put your hands in the water. Cool.
4: So, um, so you guys mentioned you'll be doing, you'll, your main focus will be children's ministry for a while. And with half the country being 15 years old and younger, that's obviously ideal. So what tell us, tell us about some of the strategies, some of the activities, programs that you'll be implementing to reach the young people with the gospel.
1: Absolutely. Well, one of the big things will honestly just be also just starting with getting more of an established type of Bible study or Sunday school with the kids on the Sunday morning side of things. Um, they already have like an established service. They do have a kids program, but it's just very, they don't have consistent leaders or so it's kind of hodgepodge. It's just because no one's really came in to take it over. Um, so we're going to help establish like a kid's Sunday school, kid's Bible study. But then doing things like vacation Bible schools, camps. Um, they love sports. They're not good at sports. They love sports. so doing things like sports clubs will be great for them to come in. And we can help them teach them a sport or help them work with sports they like. Um, really just looking for any of those little, little opportunities. Um, something that's unique to them. They, they, don't, like, they don't participate in anything that's like Halloween, so like trunk treats and stuff and like that wouldn't work there because they would have no clue. And it's hard to not do something that's within the Halloween region that's against with the whole witchcraft thing. But something that would, be not, that would be different for them is doing things like a Christmas party or like a Christmas in July. They do celebrate Christmas, but it's not like how we celebrate Christmas. But they love the way we celebrate Christmas or even Easter. I heard someone say that. So doing something like an Easter hunt with the kids, but then it's ultimately it's a gospel-themed thing, would be really cool. Um, we're we're just really we love kids ministry, and we're just excited to get our hands dirty and do whatever it takes to get the gospel to those kids.
4: All right, great, super. We'll give them a hand one more time, and uh, if you and Janae will go back by your table back there, people can come by and ask more questions or take one of their prayer car- cards and put that on your refrigerator. All right, let's stand and be dismissed. It's good to be in God's house. Amen, amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we are we are thankful that someone took the time to share Jesus with us, and Lord, when we talk about sharing the gospel all the time but really what we're talking about is sharing the love of christ that was expressed through the gospel lord we're thankful that the god that created us didn't abandon us because we rebelled against him he he pursues us he seeks us out he came to earth in human form to be one of us and to die for us to die for all of our failures all of our selfishness all of our sin so lord because he came to us help us to go to others to to have gospel conversations. So we pray for this family again, Lord. Pray that you just guide their steps, get them to 100% so they can get on the field and start reaching children, adults, men and women, everyone for Christ. And Father, help us to, uh, to pray for them and to support them as they go. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you.